Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Katherine Miller. Divorce Dialogues brings expert guests to the airways to talk through your divorce questions and fill in the gray areas about separating. From thinking about divorce, to how to behave during divorce, to what to do after, this is Divorce Dialogues. Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder at the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding in Conflict. And I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And I have two guests today. Uh, They're Harriet Newman-Cohen and Martha Cohen-Stein. They are a mother-daughter team of attorneys and the co-founders of Cohen-Stein Kapoor, a New York City family law firm which opened earlier this year. Harriet has founded four other highly respected law firms and has served on the New York State Commission on Child Support, thanks to an appointment from Governor Mario Cuomo, and a New York City Mayor David Dinkins appointed her to the Foster Care Commission of the City of New York. Martha has focused exclusively in the field of family law for more than 25 years. She's also on the Executive Committee of the Family Law Section of the New York State Bar Association and a member of the Board of Directors of the New York American Inn of Court. Welcome, Martha and Harriet. It's a pleasure to have you both on the show, and congratulations on the formation of your new firm. Thank you, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. This is Martha speaking. Yes, and Harriet here. Thank you so much, Catherine, and thank you for the good work you do. Oh, well, thank you so much. So one of the things that we talked about talking about today were high-profile celebrity divorces. And I know that you've both had experience and significant experience with high-profile and celebrity divorces. And I wonder, Martha, if you could start by talking about how this kind of divorce is similar, but also different from a regular divorce, a regular divorce, a divorce that somebody of more regular lifestyle might think about? Well, in a high-profile divorce case, you often have issues regarding publicity and um, newspaper coverage and reporters and journalists who might be interested in the case. So depending on uh, which spouse you represent, you might have an interest in getting that publicity and having some aspect of your case decided in the court of public opinion Or you might absolutely be opposed to any publicity and feel that it would not help the client at all and do everything that you can to uh, keep the privacy of the parties and, and proceed in a private and amicable manner. And Harriet, I know you've had a lot of experience as well. And do you have anything that you want to add or a story to tell about when you did or did not want the publicity to come out around a divorce? Well, I represented Governor Andrew Cuomo, and at the time that he and Kerry Kennedy were divorcing, which was the early 2000s, we attempted to keep it out of the press. Uh, Nevertheless, the press uh, did find out that the couple was divorcing, and they found Kerry on a sailboat one day. It was the weekend of July the 4th, and they took pictures of her, and it was tabloid fodder, and we had tried 
everything we could to keep it quiet. But there was that picture, and it kind of took on a life of its own. So our next steps were to try to tamp down and for the parties to make a joint statement that they'd like privacy and dignity and that they intended to remain friends. And in fact, they did have a very dignified divorce. But when the governor had his recent troubles, people were saying that it had been a messy divorce. In fact, that was just a rewriting of history. It wasn't. Another thing that comes to mind in celebrity divorces are there are heightened issues of confidentiality that have to be addressed for after the parties are divorced. So, for example, I had a case where I represented the wife of a very well-known stand-up comic, and there was a confidentiality clause in the separation agreement where neither party was supposed to disparage the other party. And we interpreted that as also applying to the stand-up comics material and routines. And the stand-up comic attributed that confidentiality clause to only pertaining to what you say in front of the children about the other parents. So there are heightened issues of confidentiality. As an attorney for the celebrity, you very much want your separation agreement to prevent the other party from writing books about the divorce or talking to the press or using material from the divorce and and what happened between them in any way publicly so as to preserve everybody's privacy. I, I want to add a note to what Marty is saying. She's talking about somebody who's very, very famous, but there's a confidentiality clause, and she's not allowed to say the name because as the lawyer, Martha, whom I called Marty because we are mother-daughter, she was involved in drafting that agreement and uh, and cannot say the name, although um, I'm dying to say the name, but she won't let me. <laughs> So let me just point out something that I think is really similar for everybody's divorce, and that is that it's it's not hard to interpret the language of the agreement, the settlement agreement that you come to in different ways. And so it's really, really important for anybody, no matter who they are, famous, not famous, rich, not rich, whatever, that the settlement agreement, if you come to one, is crystal, crystal clear in terms of what it means and in what context. Because if I'm understanding you, and I'll, I'll go with Martha because I'm not related to you, what you're <laughs> saying is that your interpretation was that this was like, mum's the word, no talking about the divorce. And this comic said, you know what, mum's the word in my personal life, but when I take the stage, I can say whatever I want as using this divorce and the whole experience as material to continue to make a living. Is that right? Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And have you had other experiences where there were misinterpretations or different interpretations of the language? Because goodness knows I have had that. And you get into a post-divorce situation where there's conflict because we do not agree or the former partners do not agree about what was intended by the language of the agreement. Uh, I've had I had another very famous celebrity. Again, I cannot say the name. I put the confidentiality clause into the agreement for her, and she wanted the confidentiality clause removed because, in fact, it turned out that she decided that she was going to want to write a book about her life and her experiences in this marriage, 
and she didn't want to be prevented from that artistic endeavor. Uh, so you sometimes, as the lawyer, are surprised by your celebrity and by what your celebrity has in <laughs> mind for the future. I don't know if that answered your question, but that yeah, that so, I, mean, I, I think what you're saying is that you you assumed sounds like that she would want a confidentiality clause, and she was like, "Oh no, no, not so fast." What I really wanted, I really want the opportunity and the ability to write about this and and to and to share that what happened during this divorce as part of my career, part of my art and my artistic uh, expression. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. As the lawyer, you were always thinking confidentiality, confidentiality. Uh, rules, but it's not necessarily the case. Yeah, so I was really saying that I think that one thing that is really relevant to everybody who's getting divorced, and in New York, 97% of divorces settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial, so lots and lots of people are settling, that when you come up with the contract and the lawyers write the contract, that it be really crystal clear, whether or not it's about confidentiality or anything else, that it is as close to impossible to interpret in different ways as as possible, and that that's true for celebrity divorces, but it's just true for regular people getting divorced as well. I think that's part of the lesson of of your story about the confidentiality agreement, and it could be for anything else as well. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's best to write with plain, simple English and say what you mean without legalese and uh, boilerplate that is complicated and thick with legal terms, use simple English and use simple phrases to express every single part of that contract because a little word here or there can be the difference between a good agreement and an agreement that is a disaster. So, Catherine, I'm going to beg to differ somewhat uh, with my daughter, which we do very often, which is what makes our practice so interesting. And exciting. Yeah. So you, <laughs> you brought up the idea of interpreting a contract, which, of course, is once there is a contract and separation agreements are contracts, every word, like Martha said, is absolutely important. So why are the old boilerplate legalese agreements still being used? Because those words of art They have known meanings to uh, judges, whether it would be in your own jurisdiction or whether you would find yourself having it interpreted by a, a judge in another jurisdiction who is sitting perhaps as a New York judge. So I have been a little wary of the plain English agreements. We think that they say exactly what they're supposed to, but once you start interpreting it, uh, there are two different kind of lexicons and maybe 10 different kind of lexicons. Webster will say it means one thing and uh, a different dictionary will say it means another. So I kind of like the old fashioned way. I'm Catherine Miller and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 5.30. And perhaps you're listening on the podcast. We're available wherever you listen to podcasts as well as on the podcast website, divorcedialogues.com. And I'm having a great conversation today with the mother-daughter team of Harriet Newman Cohen and Martha Cohen Stein about high profile and celebrity divorces and how they are and are not similar with other people. And I don't want to get too 
too deep down into the lawyery conversation because this isn't a lawyer show per se. Uh, but I think that one of the things that is really important is that the agreement is clear. Then you both agree that the agreement should be as clear as possible. I 100% agree with that. And you just see a little different way about making it clear. And one of the things, and I want to sort of use this as an opportunity to segue into a little bit of a different conversation. But one of the things I think is really, in my experience, is really more challenging from a writing of the contract perspective is coming up with a really creative agreement. So you come up with a really creative thing. And sometimes with very high net worth people, you have an opportunity because you have literally more to work with, right, to do something really creative. But then you don't have any boilerplate language. You don't have any, this is the way we do it. And you've got to make it up in your own drafting without the opportunity of having seen other people working in this way. And in, in those opportunities where there is this great thing that you can do for this family, which is come up with something really creative that works very customized for them. And at the same time, there's this opportunity that this might be the first time court has ever seen anything like this, should it go wrong later on. And so is it your experience, the two of you, as it is mine, that you do have an opportunity to do something more creative when you have people who are willing to work together and have the means to have you do that. Harriet, why don't we start with you? This is Martha. That is such a great point that in certain circumstances, especially with high net worth families, you have to reinvent the wheel. And as an attorney, it is challenging and it's fun, but it's difficult. It's difficult when you are creating the provisions and making sure that they work with all the rest of the provisions. And and when you've never drafted an agreement like this, especially there might be alternative situations. If this happens, then that happens. But if something else happens, then it's going to be a completely different scenario or, or process. As a lawyer, it's a very exciting challenge and very, very time-consuming to come up with the creative brand-new provisions, but we do it. We do it. Yeah, Harry, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, Well, I I agree with both of you. I've seen your work, Catherine. Your work is so totally amazing, and as everybody listening to the program can hear, your thought process is so clean and so logical, and that's why you are so very, very good at what you do. You're the best at what you do, including this program. You're terrific. I'd like to uh, pivot a little bit to a somewhat different topic. I know that women like to listen to this program. And I think that's just absolutely wonderful. And in a high net worth case where the person who has earned the money has been the woman, the high-powered CEO, the partner with the corner office at the law firm, oftentimes the husband doesn't quite keep up with her. In fact, sometimes he stays home. Now, in cases that I've had, and I'm not talking about the pandemic and working from home, I'm talking about the fact that the woman is so successful that he doesn't have to work. So he pursues other things and he becomes a house husband. He becomes a house husband, but in the cases that I've had, there's a nanny, there's a chef, uh, there's a housekeeper, and the husband does whatever it is he does. Comes the time where the union is not happy anymore, he now sometimes becomes a great threat 
where the custody is concerned. And uh, I wonder whether you, Catherine, and Marty, uh, you have had similar experiences where now he comes forward and he's got all this leverage, particularly if there was no prenuptial agreement, whereby he says, I'm the one who raised these children, when in fact, it's not even true. Well, I think you raise a really, really, really rich question. But Martha, do you want to you want to answer your mother's question first? Well, what I would say is when that wife consults with me, I might tell her, let's get him a job before we proceed with the divorce. Doesn't he want to work? Can't we kind of figure out a way that this man gets himself a job? so that we can establish a new status quo for the next six months so that when you do divorce him, you are not divorcing a house husband. So you, there are times where you want to try to change the status quo and get your ducks in a row before this house husband finds out that his wife wants to divorce him. Would your answer be different if we were talking about a housewife? Well, I find that in the situations where it's the mom who's the stay-at-home mom, that the custody issues are very different, and uh, her financial rights are, well, we try in New York to protect her financial rights, but where you've got a very high-powered wife and a house husband, the reality is that it will be treacherous for that wife regarding the custody of the children. I've been watching Scenes from a Marriage, which is uh, playing on uh, one of the uh, cable networks, which was based on Ingmar Bergman's uh, Scenes from a Marriage with Liv Ullman, who played the unhappy wife. And he is a house husband, and she is a a high-powered person. And um, I've been uh, finding it very, very moving, very moving. The dynamics behind the closed doors in all families is a very powerful thing. Yeah. And and I think we're at a time in history when many high-powered women grew up not necessarily expecting to be the breadwinner or expecting to have a house husband and that there's resentment there in some in some families and in some cases that might not be in a in a more I hate to put the, this use this word but sort of traditional where you have a husband as a breadwinner and a wife who's uh, stay at home with the family whether or not there's a nanny a housekeeper a chef and so on and so forth and that the dynamic there and the feelings are really quite different and as we shift and I think in in my children's generation then it'll be maybe be a little bit different in in the divorce world in New York but right now those are very challenging situations from an on an emotional level is my experience is that your experience as well Martha Yes that that's my experience as well and also something I had another experience which I found so fascinating is that I represented a husband who you might call a house husband. And he worked very hard in that marriage and made many, many non-economic contributions. A very good person, very devoted to his wife. And he did make many, many non-economic contributions to that marriage. But when we got to court, those we realized that those non-economic contributions that were made by the house husband were probably going to be looked upon with doubt and disdain by the judge and that they were not going to be looked upon in the same way that a stay-at-home mom's contributions were looked at. And we had to face that reality and decide to settle the case and make the best settlement that we could make because there are prejudices against the the guys. 
and you see that where the guy is the stay-at-home dad or the stay-at-home husband, he's not getting 50% of the assets if it was the wife who was out in the workforce and building the wealth. That husband is not getting 50%. The cases one after another that I researched showed that that husband was getting more like maybe 30% of of the assets, whereas when it's a stay-at-home mom, and especially if she's been wronged or hurt by this husband, maybe he's had an affair, that mom is is getting 50% of the assets. So I'm going to jump in here, too. Uh, It's Harriet here to say I agree with everything that Marty Martha said, but I do want to say that on these high net worth cases, here in a state like New York, which is an equitable distribution state, it's not likely that the stay-at-home mom or the lesser earner, if the guy is doing the earning, she may possibly be getting 50% of many, many of the assets, but possibly, and you know, you had asked the question, how are these high-end divorces different from more modest earners? And with respect to the businesses, the judges generally feel, even though the partnership is supposed to be an equal partnership in, in your heart and in your head, and during the intact marriage, her services are considered to be very important to make him uh, this important CEO. At the time of valuations, it's not unlikely that it will be decided that, well, he did a little bit more because he went into the business, and um, we don't always see that she gets 50% on the business. 50% of the house? Yes. 50% of the pensions? Yes. 50% of the liquid assets? Yes. But then the judges have a lot of discretion when they're looking at things other than accounts. I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues here on WBOX 1460 AM, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 5.30, and also available as a podcast wherever you listen. And I'm talking today with the mother-daughter team of Harriet Newman-Cohen and Martha Cohen-Stein. And if people are interested in learning more about the two of you or about your firm, how can they do that? Our firm is called Cohen Stein Kapoor. Now, my last name is spelled S-T-I-N-E. Cohenstein Kapoor, and we are at 11 Times Square in New York City, and we are well-known in the, in the legal community and in the matrimonial bar, and we have a website that is very informative and will provide a lot of information about all of us. These days, as all of your viewers know, you can find out anything about everybody, everything about anybody. Uh, we are super lawyers. That's a very important designation. If you look on the website, you find out everything you want to know about about the lawyers. Martha and I are both within the top 50 female, uh, female, female lawyers in, in uh, super lawyers. As you can hear, I found it very interesting when Martha was talking about uh, the house husband client of hers who was entitled to 50% because he worked hard. And I told you about my case because I represented the woman, and I said the husband in that case was not entitled. So it depends on the lawyer you go to because the glass is either half empty or half full, and the lawyer is a zealous advocate, a chameleon, I like to think, and a good, strong, smart lawyer can see the glass your way. You know, this is really interesting because, and I don't want to get too deep into the sausage factor here, and we only have a few more minutes, but we're talking about whether or not the non-titled spouse, the person who didn't earn the money directly, 
whether or not that person, man or woman, is entitled to 50%. And we've talked about New York being an equitable distribution state. And I know that equitable, it might mean it to some people, but in the law does not mean equal. And so how do the two of you see in a high net worth situation where you're talking about a lot of money, businesses aside, Harriet, so just looking at real estate, cash, investments, and so on and so forth, how do the two of you see the sort of equitable versus equal distribution in high net worth cases? And uh, since Harriet just spoke, Martha, why don't we start with you? Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over the place. We study all of the cases that come down, and it happens that in these high net worth cases, they mostly get settled. So there aren't too many decisions that come down where you know what the decision was. Or, for example, with uh, Bill Gates and and, uh, Melinda Gates, uh, they made a confidential agreement, which is sealed. Uh, Very often, people who actually have their cases in court, they'll go into court with with the anonymous designation. These wealthy people, they don't want their cases uh, to be connected with themselves. But um, as I said before, on liquid assets, on homes, residences, no a prenuptial agreement, you'll see 50-50 on all of the basic assets. But when it comes to the businesses, we don't see 50% to the non-titled spouse. And then, of course, in these high-end cases, the assets are all over the world, and there are uh, investigators trying to find all the assets, and it isn't always uh, so that, uh, that it's even close to equal. You can also. We're out of of time. I'm afraid I have to end it there. But thank you so much, Harriet and Martha, for being my guests on Divorce Dialogues. It's been great to have you. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you.